In this episode, we talk love, music, and passion with soulful songstress Irona. Inspiration guaranteed. Let's get started. You're listening to the Think Outside the Lines podcast. Practical solutions and ideas for designing the life you want with an added dose of inspiration. Here's your host, Sean Feeney. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Think Outside the Lines podcast. In each episode, I talk to people who are designing the lives of their dreams. I believe that if they can do it, so can you. And these conversations are meant to inspire you to take action and to pursue the life you've always wanted to live. I'm Sean, and you can find me over at thinkoutsidethelines.com, where we explore these ideas further. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today. She's a talented musician with a gorgeous voice. She also happens to be a dear friend of mine. We talk music, love, struggle, and the importance of speaking your mind. She tells it like it is, and I'm confident you will find her perspective refreshing. It's time to think outside the lines with the lovely Eroma. All right, are you ready? I'm so, I have no idea what you're going to ask me. I can't wait. <laughs> it's so much fun. I'm so excited for us to chat. All right, Jessica Santaferro, Arona. We need to talk about this right away because there's people that are going to be confused. So let's, let's, um, I'll actually let you kind of, before I dive into some of my questions, I do like an icebreaker right. round where I ask like lightning fast questions, but, okay. um, we'll skip that for a second. And I want you to talk about your name for a moment. Um, my name is Jessica Santa Ferraro and that's my name in life, but musically speaking for whatever reason, no one can pronounce that. They can't remember that. They can't spell that. They can't read that, any of it. So I did some searching. And Irona with an I is the goddess of iron. And my last name factually means saint of iron workers. We're all anemic, which is also really great. <laughs> um, and then I, it started out as Irona at first, but I liked the pronunciation of Irona better. So I just ditched the I and added an E and then it became me that totally rhymes and it's not intentional. Um, so yeah, Irona came from people mispronouncing my last name and me figuring out a way to musically speak instead of always being frustrated with mispronunciation. Cause though that doesn't matter to most people when you have a last name, that's constantly, constantly mispronounced. I feel like I'll begin any session apologizing or like correcting people, which I, and if you mispronounce E R O N A, then there are bigger fish to fry in the world. Yeah, it's true. You know, what's funny about that is I actually like my name is Feeney and you would mm-hmm. think that that's pretty simple, right? Like people could just be like, Oh, Sean Feeney, whatever. But trust me, they butcher that too. Um, the only thing I have going for me is boy meets world. True. People, like that resonates with people and they know Mr. Feeney. And so my, my last name looks familiar to them. Right. Um, but my first name people butcher all the time. My, favorite thing in the world is when I order a drink at like Starbucks and I say my name is Sean and then they write S-E-A-N on the cup and then the barista that like calls out my name with the drink will be like scene and it's like crickets crickets. I'm just like are you kidding me right now like I didn't even give you the wrong information but right anyway that's that's I just I just took the dog to an appointment and he's under my name and she said Santa Farino and she's looking at the computer, which is digitally typed out my name, 
And I was like, this is why I musically go by Irana, because <laughs> there is no I-N-O in the end of my name. But miraculously, it appeared while you were reading it. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So let's get to the good stuff now that we got the name stuff out of the way. Yes. Um, I know you as Jessica, but the world knows you as Irona, and that's totally fine. Right. Um, okay, cool. So like I was saying a minute ago, I always start off with kind of like an icebreaker, slash, you know, fast questions, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, no pressure. We're going to dive right in. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. We both got our wine. I oh, did. Like, I just, just took a sip. That's why I was like echoing in the glass. <laughs> All right, give me three words that would describe you. Best describe you. Um, I fiery. Yes. Loyal. Yes. Uh, stubborn. Yes. It's, like, it's a good and a bad thing. Totally. I agree with all those <laughs> things about you. Um, what is your greatest desire in life at the moment? Oi. I think to be out of debt. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I think a lot of people align with that. Right. It's not a terrible thing, but it's one of those things that's like this looming gray cloud that follows you no matter where you go. I agree only if you let it. I know that sounds like super idealistic or whatever. True. I think that you can, it could impact you as much as you allow it to. Right. Like there's people that have like a shit ton of debt and yes, you can think about it and let it consume you all day, but you can also find a way to. Mine is nothing considerable, but it's enough to. To make me irritated. Totally. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, what is currently your favorite song? Um, Send my love to your next love. <laughs> oh my God. So we were just at brunch on Sunday and we talked about this very thing. <laughs> because I'm not like a huge Adele fan, but that's a really good song. And it's because, it just, did we agree on why we like that? Well, it is. You can't not sing along and like dance and drive on Mulholland and be an idiot, but safe driver. It's yes. There was another reason specifically why we like that one song. Like that's the one song on the album that I actually love. It's one of your producer types. Yes. Yeah. Max Martin produced it. Yes. Which he produced like every amazing pop song. And I also love, um, water under the bridge. That's the one we decided we like. Yes. But like, I just saw Janet Jackson recently and there's a song on her album called well-traveled. Which, for whatever reason, like the beginning, there's these these like synthesized horns that just make me feel like I really want to go on a cruise and sing this song. Oh, I like that on a cruise <laughs> and singing the song even better. Um, the Janet Jackson album did not resonate a ton with me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few songs that I liked on it, but I'm really like more poppy, right? Vibe, and she didn't. She wasn't really playing to that crowd on this album. So right, which That's, I which I loved. Totally, totally. She got real gritty. She did. Less dirty, more gritty. Right. I feel like that could be her slogan for this album. <laughs> Favorite place you've ever traveled to? Honestly, Austria. And I felt like the biggest tourist because I could read nothing, I could speak nothing. But I felt like I got along with all the people. I paraglided off the Alps. I ate this like magical chocolate cake. And it was like Vienna more specifically was really gloomy and dark, but also totally beautiful. You had me at magical chocolate cake. It it's the soccer tort, which is essentially where chocolate cakes started. What? Yep, it's the beginning. And I sent one to my father on his birthday from Vienna, Austria. It was like the most expensive cake I've ever purchased. But <laughs> Can it was you so buy this worth online? it because I got to talk to him while he tried it. I was still in Europe and it got to their house, obviously. And I was like, just eat the cake. Just eat it. Anime, just eat the cake. <laughs> Did you actually eat off the cake too? I 
ate all of the cake. Oh, okay. That makes which sense. is why I sent it to him. It was the soccer hotel and the soccer tort. The chef on a whim just came up with adding cocoa into his baked goods and all of a sudden make this really, I'm seriously magical cake. It sounds amazing. I actually, can you buy them online and have them shipped somewhere? You can, you can buy them. And my mother found one recently at the world market cost plus, but it's, it's the soccer tort, but it's not directly from the hotel. Is it like someone like ripped off the recipe or something? No, it's the exact same recipe. They can't call it that unless it's identical. It's like those damn Neiman Marcus cookies. Do you remember right. that thing used to go Crack. around on like... <laughs> there used to be some chain letter that was like, I, I disgruntled with Neiman Marcus and I'm mm-hmm. giving the recipe or something. And know. Marie Calendar, or not Marie Calendar's, Mrs. Fields cookies too. Oh, Mrs. Fields cookies. Those were the bomb. Does that still exist? It does. I feel like there's one, maybe. Probably or some I'm, mall in like middle America. I feel like there's one in the Sherman Oaks mall. I could be totally wrong, and it could be like a Wetzel's Pretzels now. Okay, that makes sense. But it might be still a Mrs. Fields. We'll have to look that up. Right. Okay. Um, What was the last good movie you saw? Straight Outta Compton. And there you go, people. Um, I didn't know, honestly, obviously I knew what it was going to be about, but I didn't know how I would feel about it or how I I would react. I heard it's really good. But I thought it was a beautiful movie. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. Um, what's the worst job you ever had? I worked at Ross for a time. Oh, wow. Like Ross dressed for less. Yeah, that seems like it would be hell on like a Sunday. And Ross pay for less. <laughs> but it was <laughs> like a, I don't know, like a beginner job. And then I worked at a laser tag place, but that was awesome. So I think maybe like Ross was my worst. Okay, I'll go with that. I've been in there. I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be the title of your autobiography? Damn, Gina. Um, probably not that. Probably that. Damn, Gina. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing that came out of my mouth. Yes. Done. <laughs> Moving on to the that. next question. Or like your what hurts? Because yes. I just say that quite often. I would actually say that's probably the title of your autobiography, your what hurts. Right. Um, with a big question mark. Right. Um, aside from brunch with us on Sunday, what was the best thing that happened to you this week? I'll keep it PG. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta keep PG for the people, <laughs> people on the podcast. Um, I want to real. I took the dog on a really beautiful hike. It was like perfect weather, like windy just enough, and it was clear and gorgeous. And I just felt like that's where I was supposed to be at that particular moment. Even though I was with the dog, we were hiking away. Yeah, you had me a beautiful hike. Totally, it was totally. And that's so LA of me. Oh, and it's beautiful hike, but it really. Not all of them are beautiful. They're all functional, but it was a good one. So I want to clarify this for a second because it is very LA of you to go hiking, but I will tell you that like I do running every weekend. And for me, that is like my catharsis and Mm -hmm. my, that is my release. And that is my time to be with nature and beauty and the city and all of those things. So I don't care if it's cliched. It's my favorite thing to do. Right. I go on Fryman only because it smells less like dog urine. Um, You can recommend one book that will change someone's life. What is it? I just like three of them just like literally like laid themselves in front of me. So I'm going to say all three because it depends on the time in your life. Um, There's a book called on death and dying, which saved my world in a few instances in my life. It's about grief and either seeing death or trying to understand death. Um, Inch by inch by Anne Lamott. It's to me for writers and artists and people who live in the world. It's mostly, to me, it was her her best explanation about 
getting stuff on paper was consider an inch by inch picture frame with your words on paper, fill that space first. Don't try to fill the big screen TV, fill an inch by inch space with your words. Wow. And then obviously, well, not obviously, but the four agreements is, is my homie. Oh, I love that book. What's your favorite agreement? Oh, is not to take things personally. Huh. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. For some reason, be impeccable with your word. That's one of them, right? It is, but that to me is that better be a worldly like given. Well, to me, yeah. To me, but it's just harder. It's I know I'm a woman of my word, but it's just harder for me in that same instance not to take things personally when others are not. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, honestly, all those are really good, actually. I can't mm-hmm. think of, like, a particular one that resonates most, but for some right. reason that one stuck out. I think that's probably the most challenging. Not because I'm not impeccable with my word, but just because I interpret that also as, like, don't talk shit on people. Right. Say only positive things. Like, and that's that can be challenging at times, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. Uh, so we're, I'm going to start out with a really big question. Yeah. Um, what do you believe to be the message that you were brought here to share with the world? And what are you doing to make the world a better place? And with that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I didn't start singing until I was in fourth grade, like in the world. It was more of like a secret covert operation to my poor father who had to hear the soundtrack for Annie over and over again in his ears. Oh, that's pretty torturous. Um, but a friend in, yes, I went to band camp. So I have many stories that this one time in band camp over summer, <laughs> I was in summer music class and we were in choir and the youngest you could go to summer music was fourth grade. And the oldest you could go was senior year in high school. So I was a 11 year old sharing a choir space in a class with 18 year olds, oh, which wow. was really intimidating, but also really awesome in terms of music in ge- like period. Not, we couldn't relate on any other level, nor should we have. But there was a weird, the whole choir was singing a, your favorite Debbie Gibson song, Lost in Your Eyes. Oh my God. And our teacher was going around the room and she'd mentioned there was going to be a solo piece in the middle. And I loved me some Debbie Gibson at the time. Electric Blue was like. Excuse me. Out of the blue, out of the blue and Electric Youth. Let's not combine them. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. There, that was lighting up my life and Tiffany. And both of them were like ruling my world. Yeah, totally. I hadn't met Polly yet. I was still in fourth grade. Oh, okay. And then I was not going to audition because there's no way. I was 11 years old and too young and all these girls were just wailing and singing it. And my friend sitting next to me, my friend Erin, who I had known my whole life, she literally grabbed my hand and raised it for me and the teacher was like oh you want it was one of those instant moments where you're kind of your body I just stood up when she looked at me and then she played a little intro into it and I sang and she everyone just kind of stopped and I didn't quite know what was going on kind of an out-of-body experience but the first moment that I realized that when I sang people paid attention and she made me stay every other class after that and sing that part. So essentially auditions were over and that part was mine. So when it came time for showtime, I told my parents, I have this little baby solo, but it's not a big deal. So don't worry about sitting in the front. 
Because <laughs> I didn't think of it as any other thing than I was just singing this one line, not realizing at the time that there would still be this 300-kid choir behind me singing backups to this 11-year-old kid who didn't know how to do anything. So we have it on, like, it was a VHS copy of it. Okay, we're totally dating mom. ourselves right now, by the way. Debbie Gibson and VHS, totally. but go ahead. And my I, and I sang this and it, at the concert. My parents were like, what? And then I think it was then that they realized that this is something I enjoyed doing beyond the four walls of home. Was that the first time they ever heard you sing, like, in that type of environment? Yes. I mean, I I sang all the time at home. It was not that they would tell me to shut up, but it was like for the love of Pete, like everything. Because music was a huge part of our life. Like everything from the Beatles to Stevie Wonder to Billy Joel to Blood, Sweat and Tears, like Cream, the whole nine. Like I heard everything as a kid. Music runs in your family, though. Can we talk about who you're related to? Totally. Can we say my grandmother's maiden name is Morissette? Oh, there you go. That's all we have to say. Yes. Okay. So I would actually go as far as to say it. I'm not just saying this because I know you and love you, but I think that you you resemble her physically, definitely, especially with like with the hair thing. And <laughs> I would even argue that your voice sounds like there's similar resonance in mm-hmm. your voices. So I I can also know. make my voice sound like hers. Can you? I've never right. Heard you do just that. like the way she moves her mouth on occasion, I can duplicate that. Wow. But that's after like. I just found this thing. There was a show when I first moved to Los Angeles called the Pepsi Smash. Okay. And it was when Maroon 5 was first coming out. And we went to the CBS lot on Radford and went to the sound studio. And Maroon 5 and um, Dashboard Confessional and Alanis were all playing a song. Oh, wow. You don't get more 90s than that. Right, early, probably early 2000s. So Dashboard came out and all the girls, young teeny bopper types went crazy. I had no clue what they were doing. Yeah. Um, Maroon 5 came out and they were great, but they just, they didn't quite have it together yet. So they had to stop and start a lot, then finally got it going. And then Atlantis came out and we were, my best friend and I were there. We were right next to the stage, essentially. And I realized that there was a cameraman that was just, I think he was just to my right. And we obviously knew all the words to all of her songs. And I, we missed when it aired because I was like, I know this cameraman is on my, like all over my business right now. (laughs) And we missed it when it aired. And I recently, I was out at a friend's house and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to, as my mom would say, I want to do the Google. I'm going to Google this and I'm going to see. And I'm watching through her performance and sure as shit, there's me like singing away to her song and they cut back to her and they cut back to me. I was like, Oh my God, there's me. Wow. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think just to like go on a tangent about her for a second, she definitely, I actually think her music has gotten better since that album. Mm-hmm. Like the first album. Uh, I think that she's become even more introspective in a more positive, uplifting sort of way. Right. I don't know. Did you know she has a podcast now? Yes. She's literally like one of the most brilliant minds I've ever heard speak. Mm-hmm. The way she just articulates and like, I and she's know. also lived a life. Like, girl's Absolutely. been going since she was a kid, and like, nineteen years old when, like, for her was when all of this happened. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine being in my early twenties and 
touring the world and trying to make sense of any of it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Do you have a favorite song of hers? Purgatorying. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Not it's it definitely was not promoted. No, not at all. I feel like that's even a B side. Oh, totally is. It could be a B side. It's on um I can see the album cover right now. It's on I think it's on the I want to say it's like the live album that she did, like a double disc, and the B side of it is on. That. Yes. Yeah, totally. My favorite song of hers is "Incomplete," like by mm-hmm. a million miles. That song, lyrically, like it's just on my, one of my mixes on my iPhone, and every time it comes on, I stop and I literally just like, I'm in the moment and I ponder life, and the lyrics are perfect. They're always. <laughs> it doesn't matter where I am in life; like the lyrics perfectly fit. It's just anyway. My goal is to actually have her on this podcast one day. So let's put that in the universe. Yes. Yes. Um, I want to talk more about music, mm-hmm. uh, but I also want to talk a little bit about life and love and stuff like that. So I'm going to ask you a big question um, that I yeah. ask pretty much everybody, but I want your perspective because I'm curious. What is it that you think holds pe- most people back from achieving their their goals and their dreams in life? I feel like ultimately it's that devil on your right shoulder that says you can't. And just trusting that more. And I think we hear in life, we hear a lot more no than we hear yes. Agreed. And and that's an instant discouragement, if you will. Um, And I think as a result of that, what? Sorry, no, as a result of that, though, I think that we've been conditioned to say no more than we say yes. That's why things like American Idol and The Voice are so successful because people are like begging for a yes and ever the world sees them get a yes. And all of a sudden you have all these people on your team finally saying yes, but then very few people at the, even at the end of that will continue to say yes. Yeah, for sure. I heard something really interesting today, actually. Um, I think you would, you would like to hear it. Um, it was a quote. Someone said pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Totally. Agree. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? A thousand percent. I love that. And I think that like the yeses and the nos and all of those things kind of work in tandem with that because mm-hmm. you can hear a million nos, but it's your choice as to whether or not that affects you yep. and whether or not you proceed with like negative reaction to that or you're like, the other thing actually was, it was another podcast that I was listening to. Um, and it's from a guy that I'm actually so, super excited. He's going to be on the show. He agreed to do my show. But um, he was talking about he gave that quote and then the other quote that he gave that I love is that um, no is my second favorite answer. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so cool because it like, if you look at it that way, it's just such a, like a unique perspective that you never hear. And I think there's something so profound and like, so what? No, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, love it. Um, so I started this podcast because I wanted to challenge the idea of living the status quo. And I want to know, I think that you're definitely someone that doesn't live the status quo like at all. So I want to know, how do you see the world and those of us that live in it evolving in ways that are challenging the status quo, especially our generation? Right. I just had a chat about this recently. Um, because where I grew up, where my parents chose to buy a, a house that they still live in, um, something that has obviously come up in the last couple of years and more specifically even like the last six months I think our generation is challenging racism again yeah but in in a in a more profound way in that it's no longer just about black and white 
because I grew totally. up in a neighborhood where there was one of every, everyone. Like I, I didn't understand the word racism until somebody explained what it was to me. Like, oh, you don't like them because they look different. It was, it was some. It was a topic that was always. I got in a lot of fights over verbal arguments. I'll say, yeah. only because that was never my experience as a kid. I feel like every like, generation has their fight and their struggle. And you think that I thought racism? I honestly thought our generation's struggle would be the gay like gay rights. Yeah. Do you think it is? No, I think that's unfortunately un- going to be on the next generation because we're still struggling with freaking racism. Like yeah. we're just peeking into the surface of of gay rights. Yes, we're getting real close, but I I think close is the worst possible answer to all of it like awesome we almost made we almost got that like we got that lemonade real close we put that horseshoe we almost hit the ring like no let's as much as i want to solve all of that we still can't stop the fighting between black and white hispanic and like whatever like we can't even handle that right now how are we ever going to even skim the surface of handling gay rights? Interesting. And I think, and I think we are so close. But and I even hate saying that because I'm. It to me, it's what is the problem? Like what? Let's all take off all our clothes. Let's take off all our skin. What color is that person? Oh, you can't tell. Oh, because they have the same skeleton as you. Right. Yeah. And that, so to what, me, that, like, the bare bones of it is what I, from the way I grew up as a kid, and I grew up in the theater, so gay, straight, I don't care, black, white, yellow, brown, what, are you an awesome human being? Great. Yeah. What do you think it's going to take then? If you don't see it happening in this generation, like, what do you think needs to happen? It's, we're already raising children who are like-minded as we were as children. Yeah. And that's going to be, it's to me, it's not even going to be like a change. It's just going to be a massive shift because the kids are no longer going to tolerate their parents saying ridiculous things. So I think that that's probably the nail on the head right there. Because right. I'm, unfortunately, I think you still see people in our generation that are raising ignorance for lack uh-huh. of a better word. So I don't, I don't know that that's going to like be the, the paradigm shift that we're hoping for is like the next generation just by default will have common sense. Um, I think that it's going to be sometimes I think the backlash is actually more powerful. Yes. So when you have like this whole, Oh my God, like why did my parents or my grandparents or, you know, whomever Mm -hmm. think that or feel that. And then you have that reaction in yourself because I actually think that it takes like the kids that grow up in suburban, you know, middle America, white town, USA, whatever that is, um, to move to a college somewhere <laughs> where they're right. forced to like mingle with people of other ethnicities mm-hmm. and be like, Oh my God, you're a human being just like me. And there's nothing different. Right. Um, what is something that motivates you the most in your life? What makes you get out of bed every day and keep going? I think that changes and I'm okay with that. Cause I think over the last year, I would say I took a considerable break from music only because it brought me to a place where it was 
I didn't want to write anymore. I didn't want to play my guitar. I didn't want to play my saxophone. I didn't want to sing unless it was like to something else or with something else. And I think for so long, I refused to give myself permission to like stop and like take stock in that. That when I finally did, I was like, oh, but when I write songs, I don't write about anything other than my own factual experiences or something that I experienced someone else doing or could really put myself into as far as someone else experiencing. I needed to take some time to actually experience some shit that I could write about. So I think over the last year, especially my motivation has been like, okay, let's actually like do stuff and like live and like be a normal person, whatever that means for my world. So that I have something that I can go home and write about or I have something that I can do. Do you find that's helped you? Totally. And also giving myself permission to stop. Yeah. Which is really difficult, especially to me in Los Angeles where everything is like now, 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 hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. No. How about you slow your roll and wait? Yeah. I had some medical things going on with me and I jumped into Bikram yoga because it was insane enough. And I thought, okay, if I hate it even better, because then I'll still have to go. So I bought a month pass and I went and I hated it, but I, I love hated it. And I hated it because I dreaded walking in the room, but I loved it because I knew over the course of the hour and a half and walking out the door that I would feel amazing and light and sweaty but refreshed and like the best shower experience after and so I did a 30-day challenge where I was like okay I'm gonna go every single day for 30 days so my motivation to get up and get my tail in gear every day was okay what time is yoga today and I would say around like day 18 I was totally over it to the point where I went to the last class on that day, like talking myself into it. Like, okay, you're at 18. If you stop now, like you'll never know what it feels like to get to 30. And you wrote your name on this wall and you've put a little X next to every single day you've gone and you're going to do it because being impeccable with my word, I gave my word that I was going to complete this task. And after that, it was okay. I can write again. I can give myself little assignments. I can not write. I can sit and chill. I can go out with friends. I can I can do all these things, but I think I had to like a mental and a physical reset. That was last summer, right? Yep. I remember because we hung out in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking about like... I actually thought it was interesting because I loved what you did with like the accountability piece. You posted on Facebook every single day, like you checked in there. And people got so mad and irritated. And I was like, listen, this is not for you. I mean, as much as you like to live your life about you, (laughs) if you want to unfollow me, knock yourself out or unfriend me, great. I'm going to post this up here because it keeps me moving forward. Like, okay, it's one more notch. Okay, I'm doing this. It's so funny that you say that. So there's two things that come to mind. Number one, I do the same thing on Snapchat with Runyon. 
when I go mm-hmm. and it's like kind of my like you look you can expect to see that every weekend from me like that I'm at running and I take a picture um and it's what part of what holds me accountable right but what I liked about what you did actually and I it's funny that you say that because I was just going to say the opposite I actually found it there are certain things that people do on social media that are particularly annoying but with this I felt like I, lo- I looked forward to it every day. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, she went today. Like, awesome, good for her. You know what I mean? And so I think that when stuff like that annoys people, it's probably because they've never held themselves to some sort of challenge like that. Right. And they have no idea, like, what accountability looks like. So. And to me, it was getting through that piece of that mental work because I had, I, I wouldn't say depression, but I would say, like, I was in a funk. Yeah. And I don't write well when I'm in a funk. I don't play music well when I'm in a funk. I don't, most things, life doesn't happen very well. And that was one thing where I was like, okay, you can either smoke weed every night, drink 19 bottles of wine, or you can get your ass off and go to yoga. Yeah. Like, let's make a choice right now. Yeah. And so doing that was instant accountability and also instant motivation. Totally. Uh, I have a double part, two part question. So I mm-hmm. want to know what has been your most powerful experience with music as a performer and then your most powerful experience with music as like a, a listener. And you can, when I say performer, that could also mean like maybe a writing process. that you Right. Oh, on, I know I already, I knew where the moment you asked that as far as performing, um, it was a bigger show I did, like a full band show I did at Molly Malone's where the guys in my band, they all know my music and it's a awesome thing. But there were a few songs where I was like, let's just see where this goes. And like, can it, is that okay with all of you? We all know the chords we're playing. We all know where it's going to end. We all know where it lives. But to me, a really powerful moment was also I I did one of my songs into a cover song and it ended up being the last song of our set, but like 900 minutes. No, I'm kidding, but like <laughs> a long one. But it moved in such a way where I wasn't prepared for how emotional I would feel letting it flow where it should and kind of like there's something in jazz band as a kid where you trade eights, where you trade eight counts of music and you kind of have a conversation back and forth with each other. And I didn't realize I was doing that with like the drummer. And then I was doing that with the bass player and I was doing that with a guitar player. And I was like, holy shit, like I'm reenacting things that I really loved about playing music as a kid, but now I'm an adult and I'm playing and I'm also singing and they're playing my, like something that I wrote, they're playing it back to me, but with their interpretation of what I meant. So it was one of those moments where I, I felt myself like I was like sob singing because I, it finally was, it was like a instant gratification, if you will. And like validation, but not even from them. It was like, I validated myself and I, and I was like, wow, like you, you managed to build friendships with these people and they know me well enough to know exactly what I meant and exactly what I was feeling to the point where they played that back to me without me even offering anything to it. And it was glorious. Wow. And like watching music, oi. Um, 
or listening, maybe there's a particular song or an artist that's had mm-hmm. like a profound impact on you. It has to be, ugh, it's like a tie, but I never got to see Jeff Buckley perform because he died before my love was massive. Um, but I have a weird connection with him and music. Um, but watching somebody else perform and like really feeling connected, I <laughs> I won tickets. That's a really shocking phrase. I won tickets to see Paula Cole, and she played a small set at the Americana. And when I showed up with my friend, I was, I mean, it was on their little stage in their little courtyard area. And I gave the guy my name and I looked and I was on her guest list. Like they had in some way screwed it up, but in the best possible way for me. They put me on her guest list instead of the guest list of the person that I won the tickets from. So they whisked us to the front row. And I was in the first seat on the center aisle that I was sitting directly below her microphone. And that entire show, I feel like she could have played anything. She did a mall. <laughs> but she played every single song that like strikes a chord within me, even like rarities that her first album no one really has ever heard. Which and is the played, best. Yeah, and she played two songs off there. She, I was like, what? And there's a picture that I have afterwards where they le- they left us people in the front row, they left us sitting there and cleared everyone else out because they all assumed we were on her list, so we know her. So she and I just started talking, and we did have an experience where I met her at a farmer's market in Studio City because her kid was in the petting zoo and a goat was like eating her kid's arm. And I was the one who was like, excuse me, um, ma'am. And I totally manned her and everything and was like yelling at Paula Cole and she turned around and it was like, oh my God, I'm like yelling at you and I love you. So we were laughing about that because she totally remembered that moment and everything. That's hilarious. But I was like, I was A, supposed to be there and B, you played you made a set list that spoke volumes to me and you're kind of living a musical life and a life life that I would love to like pattern my life after she has a family. She has friends. She still has a musical career. Like everything's in a really nice balance. Yeah. That's why she's my homie. And that was like, that performance was amazing. That's so funny because I I feel like maybe we've had this conversation before, but I had this was like back in the like the late nineties, and I was invited by a friend to go and see um, this concert, and there were two artists that I'd never heard of before, and I was just I love music, so I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll go, whatever. And it was this place I I don't even know if it exists anymore, but it's like in the hills of Burbank or something. It's called the Starlight Bowl. Have you ever been there? It's like this grassy knoll. There's like a stage at the bottom and then it's just grass. This is gorgeous. I don't know if the venue exists anymore. If it does, I'd love to go again sometime because it was amazing. But anyway, so I get to the concert and it is Sarah McLachlan and Paula Cole. (laughs) And this is before like the whole little affair thing happened. And, you know, they became kind of like the what they're known for today. But um, it was 
one of the most amazing musical experiences of my life because I was literally just sitting in this meadow listening to this amazing music. And I, I, I loved Sarah McLachlan. Like I, I grew to love her very much, but Paula Cole, especially like lyrically, I think, and just the way that she like, I don't even know what the word is, what she does with the piano when she's performing, mm-hmm. but like, it's, it's so intense. The and piano is part of the performance. Absolutely. Well, it, but because, like it, it is a percussive instrument and she definitely uses it as such. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's the only time I've ever seen her live. And that was so long ago, but I, I will never forget that moment, ever forget that moment. And I had a similar experience with Tori Amos, um, uh-huh. again, back in the nineties, never had heard of her before. Um, and another friend of mine was like, Hey, I've got tickets to see this chick, you know, Tori Amos. And I was like, sure, whatever, you know, I'm sure she's good. Um, and I've always had a love for the piano. So I get there and we're in the second row. And so, I mean, to make a long story short, my first experience with Tori Amos ever was the second row at her concert in San Diego. I saw her um, in the front row in college and she came out for her encore in a cheetah costume. (laughs) (laughs) She was the definition then of like zero fucks given. Like, I'm just going to perform this encore in a cheetah costume. Totally. It makes me sad actually reflecting on this and I, I feel like we're, sounding old here but like there really aren't that many artists like that anymore today nope like because it's it's production value and how many people you can pack into a staple center if you will and how you've got to keep their attention because they're on their phone and they're going to snapchat this you need to keep it snapchat worthy and then they're going to say take an instagram they're not going to know what you're saying they're going to know the hook and i hope you're saying something about like relationships being great you're going to like yeah. repeat the same words over and over again i don't know <laughs> thankfully there are still types that like thankful for the adele types of the world and yeah. the even though most people don't care for him i don't care john mayer is fantastic oh my god so that's funny because you mentioned maroon five before and right. i had never heard of them again um went to a john mayer show and they were the opening act and i just remember like from the moment maroon five came on to the moment John Mayer left the stage I was so enamored by that entire show mm-hmm. it was amazing and John Mayer if you've never seen him live like with a guitar live he's insane oh my god nothing like it he's the Eric Clapton of our generation for sure even beyond that I, I, yeah I mean his, if you want to go that far his sure. musical genre like he goes from like blues to literally like bluegrass to like he's playing with the Grateful Dead right now is he really Yes, he's I dead in company. Shut up. That's no, so funny. No, so he goes from something like Continuum and like... Which is a great pop album. Right, but he's still like threw his blues guitar skills in there. Yeah, oh, and Clarity then he, is such a good song. Right, and then morphs into Dead and Company. Don't worry wow. about it. I had no idea he was performing yep. with the Grateful Dead. That's crazy. Probably is. Wow. Wow, that's insane. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about love, and I want mm-hmm. to talk about what do you think it is about love that makes us crazy? I find that people, like especially that identify with music and like artists and this sort of thing, we all have this like tortured love affair with the idea of love. Well, because we're branded as kids with Disney movies and love songs that... But is that is, what it is, though? Because I hear yes. that a lot. Do you think well, that's all it is? For me, I had a pristine example my whole life my my parents are still married and like they still make out and they're amazing and I they laugh because I'm like they're the like my biggest sense of success but also my biggest sense of failure because my age 
my mom had a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old and had been married for almost 20 years. Like, that, it, I can't even wrap my brain around it. She'll say to this day, it was a different time. It was a different time. <laughs> I get it. But it was a different time because they were the kids of, like, the depression area, uh, depression era kids who, like, got married as, as soon as possible, had families because they had nothing. So they had everything when they had their families. Yeah. My mom was a working mom. My dad worked. But they still managed to find time for their family and find time for each other. So I, of course, assumed there was something wrong with me because I turned 30 and I was single. Totally. And I didn't have any kids and I didn't have even a boyfriend. I didn't, I didn't have anything. I was like, well, then of course, as a woman, I'm sure as a man, it's the same thing. The relatives want to know if you're gay or if you're just want to be single your whole life or what's wrong. No, it's actually what's right because I'm kind of figuring it out. And it, yes, it took longer, but I think I'm in a place in my life now where yes, that's important to me. But I want to share my time with somebody who who moves me in more than just like a physical way. like Or more than just an emotional way. Right. Right? Like you like, want the whole thing. Yes. And it to me, it really comes down to like what can you live with and what can't you live without? Hmm. Not You're not going to find – my parents are not like the perfect mates for each other. They – bitch at each other all the time however they can't see themselves living without the other why because there's like different motivations and there's um, obviously a mutual respect and a love but they drive each other and they share adventures and they share experiences and they're they have their own paths but they are also willing to create a third path where it's like as a team we're going to go on this adventure called life do you think that our generation and even the ones behind us coming up, I don't want to say like are able of, are capable of finding that, but I feel like we are, are searching so hard for that entire package and we don't want to settle and we don't want things, we want things to be perfect and this and that. Right. And like, do you think that we're just going to like all be in a home together at 70 no. 80, 90 or do you no. think that like no it's it I just think we're finally learning to take our time that there really isn't a hurry but I would argue that there's something to part of the reason that like I think my grandparents are still together and even my parents to some extent is because they have that history together right and so what I wonder is without that history right like as you're in your 30s approaching 40s what have you without that history with someone there isn't that need to stay together because there isn't like, oh, we've had kids together for 20 or 30 years. True, now but we... there is still that need with certain people where it's like, I saw this poster, it's like, I want to adventure with you. Totally. And to me, that's like the, I have my path, he has his, this is our path together. And that to me, that's the driving thing that kept my parents together and grandparents and that kind of thing where, yes, it's happening later, but that third path of I don't even care if, if it's a, a union if you will but like 
this person that's sharing this experience of life with me. Totally. Whatever but, it equals. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be good, bad, ugly, indifferent. It's going to like really suck sometimes. It's going to be really awesome. But how are we ever going to know? I think we're also the younger generation, if you will, younger than me. They've been placated and like they don't want to see things necessarily so bad. But how are you going to know when something's so good if you haven't experienced something that's really, really shitty? But that's what I'm talking about with your point to the adventure because I definitely agree with you. That's where we're at. But I find that like when the adventure stops being fun or adventurous, right? It's like, okay, cool. Well, I guess I'm going to go now. But I've lived enough by myself and adventuring with others that at this point in my life, I know what's shitty. So I know when things are good. But you also know that like I have oftentimes more fun with my friends, whether it's hanging out, traveling, whatever, yes, than I do with an, a significant other. Factor, there's an intimacy sure. factor with a loved one that like you can feel a shift and that's the kind of adventuring where it's like, ew, I'm going to say this word, where like your souls are both in it. <laughs> but that's what I mean, where it's... yeah. My parents took that time to figure out like soul searching when they were in high school. But did they? Start, did they take even, that time? That's I my question. I didn't begin to do that when I was in college. But did they take the time to soul search? That's my totally. question. Especially when it comes to finding your soul. They had to. Hmm. I don't know. That's what I wonder. I don't know. Well, mine at least had to then because they both came from highly dysfunctional families. So they had a lot of soul searching especially in their like high school formative years. Yeah. What do you hope the world looks like five years from now? Mm. I hope our social justice system is on a really, really massive shift. Interesting. In what way? I think we're all seeing signs of what to me is the evolution of massive mental health issues and especially running rampant in our justice system. I think we're finally understanding that people's physical responses to a lot of situations are dictated by their mental health, if you will. Interesting. And I think people are finally paying attention and talking about depression and or like anger like all of the spectrums of mental health and someone who works let's say in law enforcement this person can't be riddled with anger issues because the next person who's riddled with depression issues and wants to off themselves and is waving a gun around it's going to be a huge problem so do you think the solution is to throw more drugs at it? Or do you think... No, be, no, no, But no, do you no, think no. there will... Because that's what we do now. So do you think, think there will be a... I think in, over the course of five years, I think it's already happening where we're actually talking about it. Okay. Where it's, it's not take another pill to hide because we've done that for too long and enough people have died because they've been hiding. Gotcha. What is your definition of success? And have you achieved it? Ooh, we. 
I think I struggled, I struggled with that word for a long time because I, I saw success as like a fourth grader. I really wanted to be on star search. Oh, me too. And then star search ended and I never was on it. And then I really <laughs> wanted to be on American Idol. And now that's ending. We're it's screwed. ending, but I was, all, and then I was too old. Yeah, totally. And then, but I, it was always, for me, I always measured success in terms of an ultimate prize. I wanted to win a Grammy. I wanted like the, like a trophy, if you will. Yeah. And it was at a point when I was in Los Angeles writing a lot of music when I was just really unhappy here at a, at a point. And I was talking to a friend who I had known since we were both in fifth grade. And I said, what? she was like, well, why don't you just move back home? And I was like, honestly, I, I, I'd feel like the biggest fucking failure if I moved home. Like I would just thrown in the towel and like, I have nothing to show for my life in Los Angeles. And she was like, are you kidding me right now? I was like, no, <laughs> like what, what? And, and I was dead serious. Like what? And she was like, well, and she just started rattling off my life to me in terms of the journey that I had just taken over like, we'll say seven to 10 years. Yeah. And it wasn't until somebody else pointed out all of these things that I did that didn't amount to a trophy, but were, was like this adventure that I took myself on. It took me honestly till that moment to realize that Success in my life and for me is definitely about the journey. Like I know I no longer have lofty goals or put myself in situations where I am vying for a prize. Like I wrote three albums of music that can never go away. Totally. It's always going to be there. And that it, it's a piece of me that I gave to the world. Interesting. And I don't need someone to give me a trophy to tell me that it was good to make me feel like I actually contributed. What do you hope will be your legacy? I think just that. That stop marking success by these massive trophy milestones and what happened to succeeding by giving yourself and loving what you do and participating in your own life. I have to say every single time I wrap, wrap up one of these conversations, I feel the sense of pride and like, Oh my God, like I have this person in my life. They're amazing. <laughs> um, but like, especially with you, I mean, I know we've been through a lot together and we've like known each other a long time, but like, I genuinely am so proud to know you and I feel like you're such a, no one could ever explain who you are in an hour interview, of course, but <laughs> um, I or, or dare try. But um, I, I just genuinely like I think that you're such an awesome person. And I I don't know. I'm so grateful to have you in my life. So thank you so much for not just being in my life, but for talking to me in this. Of course. This thank you. And all this good stuff. Um, if someone wants to learn more about you, tell us where we can find you on the web. Um. Like the Twitter handle is at Erona, E-R-O-N-A, music. So is the Instagram. So is the Facebook. 
And if they want to listen more specifically to tracks or read anything, it's erona.bandcamp.com. Awesome. And I will have links to all of those things in the show notes with a picture of your beautiful face. I'm like, hi, guys, what's up? I'll mispronounce <laughs> my name. Please, please, whatever you do, don't mispronounce her name. All right. Thank you so much. I adore you. Appreciate your time. Thank you much, Lee. All right. I want to thank Arona for joining us today. Really great conversation. Good stuff there. Uh, I also want to thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that it's provided some value in your life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes and be sure to subscribe. And while you're there, I'd really appreciate it if you'd please share your thoughts with a quick review. You can find the links for everything we talked about in this episode in the show notes, which are available at thinkoutsidethelines.com slash podcast. Until next time, go out there and do what makes you happy. And remember, the best way to predict the future is to create it. For more information, please visit thinkoutsidethelines.com.